ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Australian companies are buying back Aussie-made products with a number of iconic brands recently coming back to our shores. While people overseas truly don't get why Aussies like Vegemite, happy little Vegemites were delighted when it became Australian-owned again after Bega Cheese bought it back from the Americans. Two years ago, billionaire Andrew Forrest, often known as Twiggy Forrest, snatched the Chelsea RM William boots back from an equally rich Frenchman. And today... Good news for the town of Lissero in regional New South Wales, the town that's been manufacturing Sara Lee desserts for the past 50 years. Everybody doesn't like something, but nobody doesn't like Sara Lee. An Aussie has stepped in to buy Sara Lee, which was owned by the Kiwis, taking the dessert maker out of administration. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country, Perth. But first, Kirsty Rich calls regional South Australia home. When she left a domestic violence relationship, it left her bankrupt with no money, no home, three children under five and one on the way. Now she's a homeowner and wants others to know it's possible to rebuild their lives after financial abuse. Walking through a field of wildflowers, Kirsty Rich has found peace photographing nature. It's helped her heal after leaving a 13-year-long domestic violence relationship. Like butterflies and flowers, um, new growth in trees and things like that, takes the focus into something that's really beautiful. Among other forms of violence, Kirsty says she was financially abused by her former partner. She says it got worse when she had children and went on maternity leave. He would get loans and things like that um, to pay out debts and then they would be in joint name. He would take money out of the bank so I wouldn't have access to money for food. Um, Then when we did go food shopping, he would eat all the food and there'd be times where there wouldn't be anything left for, for me and the kids to eat. Kirsty says her biggest fears about leaving was the safety of her children and being able to afford moving out on a single parent income. The perpetrator used all of those as a tool against me to keep me trapped in that relationship until there was a point that I thought if I stay I'm going to die here um, and my kids will be left without their mum and that just picked me up one day and I pretty much fled with a backpack some nappies and my kids and nothing else. When Kirsty left the relationship in 2012, her former partner's bankruptcy was transferred to her. She had no money, no home, with three children under five and one on the way. When you think there's families out there with two incomes that are struggling with the cost of living at the moment, there's an added layer to the stress when you're a a single parent navigating after domestic violence because you've had your credit rating destroyed. It has an ongoing effect. It leaves people in poverty and home, like we found ourselves homeless because of the rising cost of rent. 
Australian Bureau of Statistics data from 2016 found 60% of women who are single parents have left abusive and violent relationships and 30% of them are living in poverty. Zara Foundation Australia Chief Executive Kellyanne Tansley says the choice between safety and poverty is real. We know statistically women are likely to return to abusive relationships around about nine times. The main reason for that is fear of poverty and homelessness. The growing demographic across Australia of people falling into homelessness is women over the age of 50 leaving abusive and violent relationships. She says the charity supports victim survivors to regain autonomy over their economic situation with help from financial counsellors. If we can support women to be financially independent and economically empowered via employment, education and training, the likelihood of them feeling they need to return through fear of falling into homelessness or poverty is reduced quite significantly. Financial counselling is how Kirsty managed to pick up the pieces, going from bankrupt to buying a safe home of her own. My instinct and determination just kicked in and I saved so hard. I got advice from a broker and I followed that advice to a T <laughs> um, to prove that I could pay a home loan. Carrying a brown cardboard moving box filled with housewarming gifts, Kirsty opens the safety screen door to the home she owns. My kids always say to me, Mum, the hard times have never lasted forever. And um, it's so true because there's been times that I thought they will last forever and I've been consumed by overwhelm. But determination for my kids to have a better life and, and I finally got it over the line. Kirsty wants others to know it is possible to overcome the cost of leaving. There's always a way to find a way out. You deserve better. You're important and you matter. And it's not your fault what's happening to you. That with little steps you can rebuild your life after domestic violence and its impacts. Um, and I guess I'm proof that you can do it. Christy Rich, ending that story from Sophie Landau. If you need support, you can call 1800 Respect on 1800 737 732. And you can read more of Kirsty's remarkable story online at abc.net.au slash news. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. You might remember last October hearing the news that Australian-made dessert maker Sarah Lee had gone into voluntary administration. The news came as a shock for the regional town of Lissero in New South Wales, where the cheesecakes and apple pies that Sarah Lee is so famous for have been baked since 1971. The local manufacturer was a big employer of local people with more than 200 people working at the factory that's on the outskirts of the town. Well, there has been some good news for these workers and our reporter Kira Prest has been covering the story. Now, Kira, tell me what's happened. 
Yeah, as you said, the iconic dessert company went into voluntary administration in October last year and the company owed creditors around $55 million. So it's been a long few uncertain months for the local workers here at Lissero on the New South Wales Central Coast, you know, especially over Christmas, a lot of them not knowing what the future was going to hold. But yeah, really great news this week that the administrators at FTI Consulting have found a buyer and it was a really competitive process actually. Um, we we're told that there are around 60 prospective buyers during the bidding process, uh, but it looks like a private Australian family company is going to purchase Sara Lee. Um, and it sounds like it's good news for the local workers here, as the administrators have said that the jobs are going to remain. Uh, we spoke to one of the administrators, Vaughan Strawbridge, earlier today, and this is some of what he had to say. Everyone who's there today keeps their job um, and all their entitlements are preserved in full. So the staff um, are not going to, to miss out on anything here. They're getting paid in full um, or they keep their job and retain all their entitlements in full, which is a great result. That's the administrator, Vaughan Strawbridge, and I'm sure those 200 people were breathing a sigh of relief when they heard that. One thing about Sarah Lee is it hasn't always been owned by an Australian company. I think people do think it's an American company, but it's actually been in Lissero for 50 years. Now, you've mentioned there that it's an Australian company that have bought it. Tell me about them. What do we know about these buyers, Clark and Brooke Quinn? Yeah, so um, they're an Australian family. It's uh, Clark and Brooke Quinn. They owned a big pet food company um, and, and they also brought the well-known chocolate and confectionery company that many Australians would know as well, Darrell Lee, so now two Lees, um, after that company went into administration in 2012. So, you know, they've, they're known for really taking these types of brands um, and turning them around, which I suppose is good news uh, for, for people who are involved with Sara Lee. And the Quinn family said, you know, they actually had a tradition of sharing a Sara Lee apple pie every Sunday night. And so that's kind of what pushed them to put a bid in for, for purchasing this company. And they said, they've said, you know, they're proud to be able to put an Aussie-owned, Aussie-made stamp on the business now. Um, and just for a bit of trivia as well, Clark Quinn um, is also really into motor racing and is a three-time Australian GT champion. So that's uh, maybe how some of the listeners might know his name there as well. But but yeah, they've obviously had a lot of experience in this space with Daryl Lee and, you know, working in, in the big business kind of uh, area in Australia for so many years. It's likely then that we're probably going to see a motor car with Sarah Lee plastered on the side of it yeah, from the sounds I of things. so. <laughs> so do we know much about the actual sale itself? Do we know how much Sarah Lee was sold for? Yes, yeah, so we did ask the administrator that earlier today, but it, they wouldn't reveal it to us yet because... Um, they are meet, they're having the creditors meeting next week. So we expect that information will be made public after that time. Uh, but yeah, at this stage, we're not sure how much it was sold for. I suppose they have to work out with the creditors who are owed, yeah, as I said, 50, up to around $55 million, um, what's going to happen there before they tell us the, the final sale amount. Kira, what's been the response from the community today? Yeah, so it's actually been a bit quiet on the worker front. I suppose it's been a really tough couple of months, as I said, for them. So, you know, they've all just been anxiously waiting to, to find out about whether there'd be a sale and what that would mean for them. But I think they're also still, 
you know, wanting to wait a little longer to find out some more details with the creditors meeting next week to find out exactly what it's going to mean for them with these new business owners coming on board. And we've actually reached out to the Quinn family to see if they'll chat to us. So hopefully we find out more from them what their plans are. Um, the union supporting workers at Lissero's factory told me that they were cautiously optimistic about the sale. Um, you know, we heard a few people took up redundancies during the administration period. Although, as I said, and you heard from the administrator that they've assured us that the jobs here are going to remain. But I suppose the union still wants to have a few more assurances and, and have more discussions before they, they feel really certain in this sale. Um, I spoke with the local member for the entrance, David Meehan, as well about his thoughts. Um, and he told me, you know, he was also cautiously optimistic. But given, um, you know, that the fact that Sarah Lee's sales have remained quite strong, he thinks that it's good. that's a good sign for the workers. Um, so here's some of what David Meehan told me earlier today. It probably tipped up a bit because of the publicity and people were reminded how good Sarah Lee is. And, and many people, I think, learnt for the first time that Sarah Lee was manufactured on the Central Coast and in Australia. And um, that did help sales uptick a little bit. But look, its performance generally has been very good and its market share has been very strong. That's local member David May. And interesting there, the consumer response to the sale, Kira. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, interesting to hear that there was kind of a spike after um, the the company went into administration last year. I suppose so many people were talking about it. I know here on the Central Coast, uh, locally, it was it was a massive story when it happened, and so many people sharing those memories of you know, like the Quinn family, <laughs> having that apple pie on a Sunday night. So I think it really struck a chord with lots of locals and people probably all around Australia, given the, the, it's a kind of iconic status in a lot of families. Um, but yeah, I suppose going forward, the as I said, the creditors are meeting. Um, on Tuesday next week and so if they agree with all the terms the sale will proceed um, and the unions told us that they will continue meeting with the delegates and the new owners to make sure that these jobs are secured going forward. So yeah there's still more discussions to come um, but I'm sure there are many families feeling a real sense of relief today after a really stressful Christmas and, and holiday period. Kira Price thanks very much for chatting to Australia Wide. Thanks so much. You're listening to Australia Wide on ABC Radio. And if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Australia Wide with me, Sinead Mangan. Remember, you can get in touch with this program anytime you like. AustraliaWide.radio at abc.net.au is the email. That's AustraliaWide.radio at abc.net.au. A trial is underway in New South Wales in hopes of seeing a greater collaborative approach between the state's rural fire service and farmers when fighting fires. As part of the trial, it allows landholders use unregistered vehicles on farms to be used to fight a fire. This means the vehicles can travel up to 100 k's from home using public roads. Here's Adrian Reardon with this report. Late last year, near the town of Wagga Wagga in southern New South Wales, a series of storms caused trees to catch a light. A number of farmers in the area worked together to put the fires out using their own vehicles and equipment. The creek was alight, just with flames and burning grass, and we just got to and put it out, and by the time I got most of it out, the big fire unit had come and he mops it up. That's Gary Brill, one of the farmers involved in fighting the fires at the time. 
we had lightning back in early December and um, it hit a tree and then um, four or five days later we could see smoke down the creek. Yeah, so we got our little fire unit and hooked it up to the ute and come down and we come down and it was all running along the side of the creek and we managed to get it all out. We called the bigger brigade in after that, but yeah, so that's why the small units have got their place. Farmers across regional New South Wales have been using their gear to help fight fires in their community for quite some time. But it's now a resource the New South Wales government is looking to embrace during emergencies. A trial has been set up to allow landholders to use an unregistered vehicle for the purpose of fighting a fire. The chair of the New South Wales Farmers Rural Affairs Committee, Deborah Charlton, welcomes the initiative because farmers are handy and are usually the first on the scene. They're the first responders, the trailers, they can get into certain smaller areas and they're generally the ones that get there quickly, get there early and um, save uh, the tankers doing more work than they have to. So it's sort of a, the first responders can sometimes also put the fire out before the tankers even arrive and that curbs the, the potential for a, a big catastrophic bushfire then. I think it'll be a huge assistance. I think every farm generally has something in as, as far as a farm firefighting unit goes, um, but they use it personally on their own farm. Farmers are very much a united bunch of people, so they like to be able to help their neighbours. So knowing that they can legally go out on a road and go to their neighbour's fire with their small farm fire units, it's going to make a big difference as opposed to them having to wait and or go to a fire shed and get on a truck and go there. It's going to put more firefighting equipment on the ground when a fire actually starts. Under the farm firefighting vehicle trial, farmers need to nominate a vehicle on the Transport for New South Wales website that meets certain safety guidelines. If approved, the vehicles can travel on roads within 100 kilometres from home. The New South Wales Rural Fire Service supports this. Here's RFS Commissioner Rob Rogers. This is trying to acknowledge the work that farmers do, but also make it easier for a farmer to be able to go, you know, and help his neighbour um, just down the road to make sure, again, we focus on stopping fires becoming problematic before they, they do that. Mr Rogers also sees it as a chance to form a stronger relationship between the RFS and farmers. To be honest, I think RFS, um, we, we moved away from the farmers and farming brigades and and to be honest i think that you know we need to reconnect with that as well so i think it's important to call out the fact that rfs probably you know needed to put some effort in to try and make sure that we work closer with with farmers but there's been a really good positive working relationship in the last few years with with farmers and uh, and this i guess just solidifies something for farmer gary brill the trial isn't a bad idea because having permission to drive an unregistered vehicle gives him peace of mind. I don't take it out on the road unless it, unless it's very close or next door neighbour. If it's only a couple of kilometres, I'll take it. If it's long distance, I get the main fire truck from the fire shed. Yeah, well, I think it's a, it's a good idea as long as the, all these units are well looked after and take them out on the road. The trial runs until March 31st. Adrian Reardon reporting there. You're listening to Australia Wide. It's a species that I have been fighting for. Growing up in the bush is such a special thing. So when the rain does come, we've, we've got a few numbers. Got it a... never come? Put a feather in your cap. ABC Radio.
As many Australian bowls clubs battle to stay open, one thriving club has defied the trend by offering camping and hopes to inspire a national trail for tourists to stay and play. Our reporter Jennifer Nichols went out to Kadanga Country Club in southeast Queensland's picturesque Mary Valley to see what was the secret to their success. It's a bustling Friday night at the Kandanga Country Club in the beautiful Mary Valley. We serve meals six nights a week. Lots of bowling activity, more bowling activity than what we've had here for probably 25 years. Julie Worth is one of southeast Queensland's busiest women. As well as owning a bus company and taking tours to outback pubs, she's the treasurer and manager of Kandanga's Country Club, where lawn bowls is thriving both socially and competitively. I've been manager since 2009. I've been here since I was a child, actually. Mum and Dad played bowls before me. The quality of the bowls is probably nearly as strong as what it was at its best in the 80s and 90s. We now have about 68 bowlers and we got down to about 35. So, yeah, we're definitely going against the trend for bowling in Australia. Julie Worth says much of the club's success is due to camping. Caravans line one side of the bowling green. We are to absolute maximum capacity tonight. How many caravans and tents does that make it? We've got rooftop tents, we've got younger people, older people. We had a wedding last night, so some of those people decided they'd like to stay a little bit longer, as seems to be the fashion. Randall and Katie Nitschke are the newly married couple that held their wedding reception here. They and dozens of their wedding guests either stayed in local guest houses or camped outside the club. All up we had 120 people, so there's probably... 40, 50 people staying here. To have a reception here, what was it like? Oh, it's great, yeah, because everyone could camp here, so you, you could have a, a little bit of drink. So people could walk like 15 metres back to their campsite at night. It was pretty yeah. epic. We snuck down to the uh, train station, had a wedding ceremony there. and so then beautiful photos. Yeah, and then uh, had the reception here. Awesome. And do you think more people should think about coming and travelling and staying at places like this to help bowls clubs out? We'll help communities out. But as you can see tonight, it's fully booked. Like pretty much every campsite is taken. Yeah. So it is yeah. getting popular. Yeah. Adrian Dan is manager Julie Worth's mother and a champion bowler at the club. How long have you been playing here? Over 60 years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How young are you? <laughs> oh, that's awful. <laughs> do you really want to know? Yes, I do. I'm 86. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. And to see this club thriving like this and so many people coming in, what do you think of it? This would be one of the best little clubs in the area and it's picked up with the campers that have come here. That's what's kept our club going. Yes. When did you actually start offering camping? About 2017-18. It just happened by accident. We had a caretaker here with a caravan and that led to somebody else wanting to put their caravan there as well. And then sometimes when bowlers came, they wanted to put their caravans there. And now it's just so busy. What's this meant to the bowls club? Because so many bowls clubs have closed down. It's sustainability for us. It means that we can employ staff. We've actually got eight people employed and we've got five school-based trainees in amongst them. So the young people of the Mary Valley get an opportunity to be trained up in hospitality and also sports tourism. And we just make sure everybody has a wonderful time. Whether regional bowls clubs can offer camping depends on the amount of land they have and whether they can gain government approval. The Northern Territory and South Australian Bowls Club Associations say none of their clubs offer camping. 
Western Australia doesn't advertise any online. In Tasmania, the Devonport Country Club recently opened an RV park on site. New South Wales has a number of low-cost or free camping options, Bulladilla, Cassilis, Abermain, Molong and Mathura, while the Woodbine Tourist Park is owned and operated by the Lakes Entrance Bowls Club. In Victoria, the Broadford Bowls Club has a free camp stopover, the Kerrang Golf and Bowls Club offers low-cost camping and the Skipton Golf and Bowls Club has two sites. Queensland Bowls says camping is available at Theodore, Eidswold, Wondowan and Boyne Tannum and the Gingin Bowls Club has camping next door at the showgrounds. Encouraged by the moderator of a camping Facebook site, the Roma Bowls Club decided to offer low-cost camping two years ago. Got a big, mostly empty car park at the front. We decided to go ahead. Secretary Manager John Hammond says by the end of this year they should have recouped the expenses of setting up privacy fences and line marking. We're shrinking membership-wise and we got to do something to try and sustain a future for the club. Back at Kandanga, Julie Worth would love to see a national trail of regional bowling clubs offering camping. We'd like to see the ones that stay here go on to other clubs. We have tried to to encourage others and they've come and stayed for the weekend and taken notes and that sort of thing, gone back to their councils to talk to them and see what they can do. Yeah, because you've had to provide facilities and you've upgraded those. There's been quite a lot of work done and you don't charge that much for a stay overnight. No, no. We want the people to come and eat and drink in our club facility because, as I said, it makes it sustainable for our members and for our community around us as well. It's just amazing. The people just don't stop coming and our most asked question is, can we stay a little longer? Julie Worth, the Secretary Manager of the Kandanga Bulls Club. Ending that story there from our reporter Jennifer Nichols, who is at the beautiful Mary Valley in southeast Queensland. Now remember, you can podcast Australia Wide or listen back to the programme through the ABC Listen app or by visiting the Australia Wide website. Just search for ABC and Australia Wide. I'm Sinead Mangan. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. Cheerio. Be safe, listen.